actually didn't want to be a journalist. I tried other things and I dreamt of other things. I actually really wanted to work with horses. And when I did my HSC, I actually answered an ad in the land newspaper at the time. Welcome to Life on the Land, a grazing hair podcast telling the stories of women living across regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. If there's anyone who understands the diversity of women who love the land, it's today's guest, Victoria Carey. V, as she's known by those who work with her, has been in the media game for more than two decades, including 11 years as the editor-in-chief of Country Style and is now at the editorial helm of Grazy Her magazine. Yet a life in journalism almost didn't happen, with a teenage horse-mad Victoria so nearly signing up to work in a racing stable. I interviewed V the day after she put the latest issue of Grazy Her to bed, and the jubilation and satisfaction at seeing another gorgeous copy of the magazine on its way to the printers was obvious in her voice. Um, it's always amazing that feeling when you sign off the last page. It's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's nothing quite like it, actually. Yeah, it's almost um, more exciting than when you actually get the printed copy in your hand in a way. <laughs> so, no, I, I, always, I always love the last page going for sure, yeah. Do you still enjoy, after all these years, the cycle of... Um, bringing an issue to life and then putting it to bed and then getting the, the finished copy in your hands? I do, but it depends at what stage in the cycle when you ask me that question, Em. <laughs> <laughs> because if you asked me that last week, I would probably have a completely different answer than what I'll say today. But no, look, it's I love what I do. I love media in every form. Um, and I, I always have. I mean, I just feel incredibly lucky to be a journalist. And people have asked me about this before. And it doesn't actually feel like a job to me sometimes. It really feels like a way of life. And it's very hard to stop thinking about it and to stop um, thinking, oh, that's, that person's a great story. or Because, I mean, every day you're meeting people, reading things, seeing things, and you're always on the lookout for a good story, I think. That's just the way I'm wired, I guess. I'm always thinking about the next good story. Uh, well, that seems like an amazing segue into getting into journalism because I know that your parents were journalists. Yes. Was this a very obvious transition for you and, and did you always envision this life and this role for yourself? No, I didn't actually. Um with having my parents both working in journalism, I actually didn't want to be a journalist. I tried other things um, and I dreamt of other things. Um, I actually really wanted to work with horses. And when I did my HSC, I actually answered an ad in the land newspaper at the time. And it was for a strapper. And it was up in the Hunter Valley. It would have been riding track work. And I rang the ad, I rang the number in the ad, and I got the job. Um, I think they were probably um, desperate for somebody. <laughs> uh, I do remember he asked me how much I weighed. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, and when I told my dad that I wanted to go and work as a strapper at some stables in the Hunter Valley, he said, absolutely no way, you can't do that, which I don't blame him because I was only 17. So we had a bit of a, 
an argument about that and um, I didn't do it in the end but I really was very very passionate about horses when I was growing up um, I just lived for my horses I was very lucky we generally had about five or six horses at home and you know I just had a wonderful time I was just on a horse all the time I used to depending on the time of the year and what we were doing um, busy time of the year I would get up in the morning and I'd ride one horse before I went to school and then I'd come home and I'd ride another one and I'd generally lead a pony as well in the afternoon to make sure they got a bit of an exercise yeah no I had a really really lucky and fortunate childhood where I had the opportunity to do that and I just absolutely loved it who taught you to ride who was your main inspiration or um, role model with horses when I was very young I had a very very good teacher Judy Dirks um, and she was a wonderful um, teacher and I just loved spending every weekend with her in her stables and she might not remember me because I was a very little girl at that time I was probably like about six or seven um, and that was something I just loved to do. And um, later we had this wonderful, wonderful friend of the family, Chappie. And he was an old um, jackaroo and he really, really taught me a lot about horses. He was a fantastic um, person and I was always trotting alongside him. He used to have a lot of horses on adjustment and I was always um, running around after him, helping him feed up and do things like that but he was a really good horseman and um, he had such a wonderful sense of humor and um, he always told me to get back on you know he was always that person beside me when I'd fallen off you know four or five times a day get back on <laughs> I always got I always got back on um, but yeah no sadly he's no longer around but um, I did I just adored him and he was um, a wonderful wonderful person to have around he was really was were your parents horsey my father wasn't but my mother was and um, my mum was um, used to ride a lot when she was growing up as well and her grandfather was actually a racehorse trainer so I don't know I mean we talk about you and I talk a lot about horses and the genetic um, passion maybe maybe that's where it is circulates down the genes yes <laughs> So, um, yes, mum, mum was a very keen rider as well. So it was, you know, wonderful to grow up. And we went to a lot of shows together and we were always on the road every weekend, driving all around New South Wales, really. We, we did a lot of competing, yeah. Where was it that you grew up? Oh, it was a couple of, a couple of um, places. My, my dad and my mother, they both had small properties and so I was just really, really fortunate to have horses at home. Um, yeah, we, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was really good. Mm. And now you get your, I suppose, um, fix with horses, maybe vicariously through your stories. I mean, you love writing and, and running stories around horses. Is that something that you envision in your life that you will maybe welcome back into your life one day? Having a horse? Mm. Um, I don't know. You can only dream, Em. You can only... <laughs> yeah, you can only dream. You can only dream. And so your um, career in horse, horses was scuppered by your dad. So yeah. when did you fall into journalism and what was that path like? 
Well, I went and did a communications degree and I majored in journalism and photography and filmmaking. So for a while there, I was sort of a bit of a each way bet. Um, but then after I graduated, I went to Melbourne and I was very lucky to get a job on the Melbourne Herald. Uh, and that was just the most wonderful experience. And I feel so lucky to have had it. It was just a wonderful newsroom. Um, the Herald and Weekly Times building in Melbourne was a very beautiful old building. And at that time, the presses were still in the building. So it was an afternoon broadsheet newspaper. The deadlines were immense, like to get your copy in on time, those staggered deadlines. I think the first deadline was around seven o'clock in the morning because it was the afternoon paper. Yeah. Um, and so and working shift work, it was just the best experience I could have had. I mean, I ranged from, I can remember one of my first interviews was Paloma Picasso. Um, sitting in a limo, driving around Melbourne, trying to trying to get enough quotes out of her. But then it was just so varied. I mean, I'd go up and I'd do state rounds when Parliament was sitting. Um, I did industrial relations um, and I did, did general news reporting. And it was just a really, really great training. And it was like I couldn't have had a better first job, I don't think. It was just such a good opportunity. Mm. They're so they can be so intimidating. The bustle of those hard newsrooms and the veterans that are yeah. walking, stalking around you know, with their yes. their stories in their hands. What were some of the hardest lessons you learned during that time? Oh, they were terrifying. Those those copy tasters and the subs were terrifying at times. They were they didn't muck around. They were very very direct, and I'm very grateful now because they really taught me what the best practice was and I've never forgotten those lessons but yeah they were tough they were Mm. really tough and you just had to make sure you were really on top of everything Um, you really had to be very informed about everything that you were doing and I mean you go to work and you would be given a new job that you knew nothing about it was really really on the go all the time and you Um, didn't have google just to jump on and have a search no you didn't you didn't so you just had to make sure that you were reading everything listening to everything and um yeah prepared prepared to go the extra mile all the time but some of those um assignments that they gave you were truly terrifying (laughs) I always remember being um sent to interview this guy who'd been convicted of murder and he'd just got out of jail and I was sent with a young female photographer out into the country to go and knock on his front door to try and get an interview. Whoa. Uh, and luckily he was not at home. <laughs> Victoria, <laughs> were the editors trying to get rid of you? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what you do when you're a general news reporter. You, mm. you, you've got to, you know, you do all those sorts of things. I just don't have the guts for the door knocking. It's just the cold calls really send my stomach to water. Yes. Look, it wasn't my favourite thing. Yeah. Were you a creative writer throughout your life or was the news something that really, I guess, floated your boat? I think I've been a bit of both. I've been a bit of both. Like I did love news, but I also love that opportunity to write a good feature and do have that time to craft the story and have an in-depth interview with somebody. So, look, I think I'm a bit of a mix of both. 
I do love creative writing. Um, and I think moving into magazines was for me just a happy accident, but it was a good combination of the things that I loved because I do love good photography. I love working with lots of different creative people. And in that news world, it's not quite the same. It's, it's very obviously driven by the deadline, driven by the, you know, the latest breaking news story. So you don't have that opportunity to really um, craft and, and make a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. So moving into magazines was something that, um, yeah, we, we just really worked really well for me and I, I just really loved it. Do you remember the first story which really tipped the scales in terms of understanding your craft? At the beginning, I remember as a journalist really struggling to, to, I guess, the puzzle piece of putting together an article. Do you remember when it kind of came to you or it just felt very satisfying telling the first story that really sung or, or fell together well? There's so many of them. There's so many of them. I do remember one particular story. I just started on, on industrial relations at the Herald and it was like day two or day, yeah, early days. And um, we got the paper and I had the page one colour story. And I think, the um, you know, there was so much happening and I can remember everyone was really surprised. Oh, you know, you're a bit of a quiet one. How did you get that page one story? And it was with this veteran and I had rung him up and he'd got out his trumpet and he had played it to me on the phone. And he was an absolute lovely, lovely man. And it was just that moment, I think it really clicked, like that colour writing, Mm. um, that opportunity that he gave me completely unprompted. And I remember the chief of staff said, did he really do that? I said, yeah, he really, really did that. So that was, um, that page one story was probably one that I do remember fondly and think was a bit of a turning point for sure. Mm, Sticks in the memory. So tell me about the transition to magazines. How did that happen? and, And what was the series of happy accidents that allowed it to occur? Well, I'd been working in London for a couple of years and I came back to Australia um, and I started working in magazines for the first time. And I worked on Bell magazine. I remember getting very excited about landing that job. Um, Wonderful editor, Michaela Dunworth, gave me that opportunity back then. And I really, really loved loved that magazine. It was just, um, you know, all of the things that I love, like art and interesting people and architects and lots and lots of interesting things. And then I had my son, Harry, and um, soon after that I started to freelance. And I think for me I probably spent about 10 years freelancing and I worked on lots and lots of different titles. I did a bit of work on newspapers. I subbed on the Fin Review Colour magazine at that time. I did a little bit of work like that. But it was a whole mix of things. And it was just such a great opportunity because I learned so much from that time and I met so many people. And I would go in, I'd do a little bit of sub-editing and then they'd give me stories to write. Um, And at that time I worked on Country Style, I worked on Vogue Living, I worked on a lot of food magazines as well. Um, And so... When Harry got a little bit older, um, I accepted a job on Country Style. It was part-time. I was the deputy editor. So I worked part-time for about 
oh, probably about a year, a year and a half until he was um, in high school. And then we had to move into the city for high school. And that's when I went full time at Country Style. So you were working in magazines kind of at their height of glamour, I suppose, that is the era of mags. Yes. What were some of the perks of the job, some of the, the opportunities that you had with these different roles and, and covering such a, a swathe of stories across a lot of different titles? Well, I was really freelancing for a lot of that time. Um, may, maybe I would sort of argue and say that it was slightly after the golden years. I'm not sure about that time being the really the peak of the golden years for the, um, for the magazine industry. But look, it, look, I had, it just was a wonderful job. I just really would say for me, it's more about the people that I met, the opportunities I had to speak to really interesting people, um, politicians, winemakers. And that was the thing about country style. It was just such a breath of content. I mean, it was just so broad. And what I loved about it was that I could just really, I mean, we interviewed prime ministers. We interviewed um, the governor general. Um, I didn't do all of those interviews myself, but I mean, I was working on those stories and it was just, yeah, it was just a really, really wonderful time. Working as a freelancer, it can be pretty challenging because there's a lot of hustle in that there's, mm. you have to really put yourself out there and pitch and grind doing yeah. that with a little person um, around at the same time is very challenging. How did you manage to juggle the two and who did you lean on for support? Very, it was very challenging. Um, I remember I had a little desk in my cupboard <laughs> and I used to go and write stories late at night and my baby was not a very good sleeper and I would have to put him to bed. Often I would fall asleep putting him to bed because it would take such a long time. But then I would set my alarm and I'd wake up and I would have to write a story for a couple of hours in the middle of the night. So that was really um, pretty draining. And that was why I tried to do editing work as well as writing, mm -hmm. because I do think that writing is such a creative process and it can really um, be quite draining sometimes. Mm. And it's not something that you just can pump out all the time. There's very, very few people who can just keep pumping out that fantastic copy um, thoughtlessly, constantly, never-endingly. Mm. I mean, it really, really is quite a skill and um, a great gift. And that's um, part of my role which I think I'm very fortunate is to work with so many talented writers and to work with so many talented photographers and art directors. Um, and I just get to see how everyone is so different and how everyone works in such a different way. Like one photographer might give you a very tight edit of images um, and approach a job in a completely different way. While another will look at that exact same job and give you a completely different look. So I find that I find that a very um, interesting part of the job. There must have been a lot of passion on your part to set an alarm and get up in the middle of the night to to write those stories. What do you think was driving you? 
there. I have to be completely honest, financial. I really, I, I had to earn that money, you know. I wasn't particularly ambitious, but I really needed to pay the bills um, because of the circ- particularly because of the circumstances of my life at that stage. So I loved what I did, which was lucky. Um, and so I could ke- keep on doing it. But um, yes, it really was, you know, I, I had to pay the bills. Mm. Does that give you a beautiful or poetic answer? I know, but that's no, it's it's the reality. And it's the reality for a lot of women. So you moved into the editor role at Country Style. What were some of the changes that you put in place over your 11 years or some of your editorial decisions that you think helped to shape the magazine into what it is now? Well, I guess the most broad focus was always supporting people in the bush supporting businesses in the bush, um, looking for people who were doing interesting and enterprising things. The other thing at that time was that people were really beginning to be very focused on where the food on their plate was coming from. So I began to do that in the magazine. There was a real paddock to plate sort of story narrative. And I launched a new feature called Country Chef, which actually also then turned into a competition for the best chef in country Australia, which we ran for a couple of years. And that was very, very successful. And part of that was because I knew Orange very well, I'd lived in Bathurst for a while and I was aware of Orange Food Week and I thought this is really clever. They're really leading the way. They're really generating a lot of interest in Orange and they had done that around um, food, the winemakers in the area, really heroing and profiling them. And so that was a big, big drive in the magazine for quite a long time was that entire paddock to plate journey. And it was fabulous because you could do the stories on the chefs, you could do the story on the actual restaurants, but you're also profiling the people, the farmers and the producers as well. Um, and that worked really, really well. We also did another thing called Harvest Table, which was focused on getting kids to understand where their food came from. Um, And that was another competition that we did as well. It was really successful. And funnily enough, um, Jane Smith, the shady baker, one of her children actually won that competition quite a few years ago. So it's quite nice that I'm working with Jane again today on Grazier. It's very um, interconnected and a small yes. world. Yes, mm. it is, it is, it is. That's an interesting, what we were talking about just before about this idea of, I guess, the brain drain, you know, a lot of young professionals moving from country areas into the city for work and opportunities. Um, and now we're almost seeing this reverse brain drain where people are flocking from the cities into regional areas for lifestyle. They can work remotely. Do you notice that shift in narrative from then to now? Are you noticing that? Absolutely. And it is wonderful. And I knew it was going to happen. And it's just so fantastic that it has. And a lot of people think it's because of COVID. I actually think it was happening before. COVID has actually accelerated it. And I think it is just something that is wonderful, really something we need to celebrate. And I'm so glad it has happened. When you're working at Country Style, were you working within a team in one office or did you have a lot of staff members spread across the country? We did have a small team in Sydney. We had a wonderful Melbourne editor, 
Virginia Imhoff, and she was based on her property outside of Melbourne. Um, and then we had a, a team of, of freelancers, regular freelance people that we used all around the country. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mix, bit of a mm. mix. Mm. Because I know now you are editing Grazy Her and the team is spread across yes. the four winds from New Zealand to right around Australia. How do you maintain that sense of culture, which is so important within a magazine, working yes. remotely? Yes. I try and talk to everyone individually, every issue, um, and get their thoughts and ideas. We have lots of ways of communicating. We have this fantastic thing, Slack, and we have the coffee room. So generally we all send each other messages and talk to each other on the coffee room. Um, and we have Zoom. So really, um, it works really, really well, really well. What drives your decision-making about telling various stories and how do you find your talent? I am always looking, like I said to you before, I'm always talking to our contributors. People do send in ideas to me. Um, there's just so many wonderful stories out there. I went to Rockhampton when I first started and we went to Beef Week and that was a really, really exciting, great great event and we had a um an up early and I asked the audience for suggestions on um sisters because we were doing this new feature profiling the relationships of sisters and so many beautiful stories came out of that I got a beautiful email from a lady in the audience on that morning and she wrote to me about her sister who had died when her this lady's niece was very young and we ran that story in the next issue of the magazine and it was an incredibly moving, beautiful story. And I actually ran her words because she wrote me this beautiful long email and I was originally going to interview her and then I read it again and I thought, how could you improve on this? Mm. So I just asked her a couple of questions and we just ran that story. So, yeah, no, that, was, that, that story was actually a bit of a highlight for me too. You know, asked me that earlier, what story really um, made it click? And I think for me that's a very important story in my career actually. I really, really loved that story. Mm, that's so powerful. What was it like moving to Grazy Her from Country Style after being there for more than a decade? Mm. What was it like stepping, I guess, into the editing from uh, a founder, Claire, who had started the magazine. And so it really was taking a fresh direction for the first time since the magazine's inception. What was yeah. that like? Oh, look, it was just a wonderful opportunity. And I'm just so grateful that Claire has trusted me with the job. Um, and I've just loved every minute of it. It's just been wonderful. It's just so great to go from a big company to a small independent company and such a wonderful thing that she has done. I met Claire years ago, actually. She came to Sydney and we had coffee and um, we had a really good chat on that morning. And um, I think if you asked her, we never thought, we'd never expected to find ourselves quite a few years later working together, but I'm so happy that it's happened. And, um, yeah, I'm really loving the role. It's just really a wonderful magazine, a wonderful brand. Um, as you know, we've got these wonderful podcasts that you do with Sky Manson, which are very exciting. And, um, 
it's onwards and upwards. There's lots of exciting things in the future. Now, what are some of the changes that you're putting into place and, and what is the direction that you're hoping the MAG will take? I don't think I've really put any changes in place. I'm, I'm just um, I'm telling those same core stories that Claire has always told as well. I just think it's just very important as the community is to build that community across every platform of the brand. And that is print, that is the podcast, that is on Instagram, that is on Facebook. I mean, the sky's the limit. So it's really just about telling inspiring stories and telling them well and doing justice to the stories that we have. Yeah, that's very important. It's the skill of the storytelling. Mm. We're seeing a lot of, I guess, big print houses folding or amalgamating, um, a lot of regional newspapers as well. There's a dearth of, of regional news, but at the same time, this rising up of independent publications, which is so exciting to see. What do you think yeah. is driving that? And, and where is this hunger or this appetite from consumers coming from? Well, I think it's community. I think communities want to hear about their news. They don't want this homogenised news source where there's nothing individual. It's, it's you know, they want that local. Um, and I said this a couple of years ago, actually, that I thought that we were going to see more startups in regional Australia, and we are. So I just think it's fantastic and we just need to all support each other. And, yeah, I think it's a really wonderful development. Mm, it's exciting. For those listening who would love to write for Grazy Her or dream of their photos gracing its pages, what do you say to them? How is it best to, to pitch to you? And, and what are you looking for from a story? Okay. First thing is to make sure that you really have read the magazine and listened to our podcasts and understand the type of stories that we need. Um, and I think just get in touch. Email victoria at grazia.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and give me as much information as possible in a concise way. And um, we can just take it from there. Mm. There I, you know, editors are notoriously time poor and especially around deadline week. But are there some tips that you can suggest around um, pitching, pitching stories, maybe around how things are set out or the headline, the subject line in the email? I think um, we always want to know where the person is located. Um, we need to know um, a concise paragraph about why you think they are a good story like what is the lead why do we want to do a story on this particular person that you're suggesting or issue that you're suggesting um, and I think it's I think that's really I think that's really the basic thing mm. I think also to be prepared to follow up um, as much as I try my very best I do sometimes miss emails so I think you know if you don't hear back follow up in a week's time um, but it is it's just really understanding the brand and reading the stories um, that hasn't happened to me so much in this particular um, job but I do remember at Country Style people would contact me and they clearly had never read the magazine so I think that's really you just got to be professional and and understand the magazine and read it and know it and have a good um, idea of what you're actually pitching. 
You've been a journalist and been telling stories for a long time. From a writing perspective, what are some of the most important things for you when it comes to telling a story, when you're crossing those T's and dotting those I's, as well as adding colour? I mean, what are you looking for? Oh, you know, it's the classic thing. I mean, how, how much time have you got people's attention for? You know, you better make those first 30 words count, Em. You've got to make those first 30 words really count. Um, if you do not have your person, that reader's attention, oh, look, to me, that, that is the golden rule. Mm, yeah, that's it. The killer first paragraph and an yeah. amazing headline and uh, all of the details, yeah. the age, the who, what, where, when and why. Yes, because you know <laughs> what I like about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I've been pulled up a few times when I've let those details slip. <laughs> oh, no, you're very good. You don't. No, you're very good. Writer. Oh, thank you. Um, and so this chapter of your life, what what do you love to do outside of the magazine? It's an all-encompassing role, but what really floats your boat or how do you relax and, and what do you enjoy doing? Oh, it's a very funny time for me because I'm actually living alone. Um, my son has moved overseas and this is the first time for many, many years. And I've moved back to the... Um, Blue Mountains, and I'm living in a house that I built about 20 years ago, which, if anyone's listening, if they've ever built a house, I think they'll understand. I haven't quite finished it. <laughs> at, the moment, at the moment, I'm um, renovating, and next weekend I've got my garage, which I'm turning into my office, and I have to paint it. So I'm doing things like that in gardening and going out to places and seeing people that I haven't seen for a very, very long time. So I'm having a really lovely time. It's a very nice time at the moment. I'm really enjoying my life for sure. Harry, your son is living overseas. Do you hope to, to get over and see him? Are you guys really close? Yeah, we are really close. And um, he's living in Norway at the moment. And um, I really, really miss him. Um, so I'm hoping I'll get over there for Christmas, fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm trying to do that. Um, but, yeah, yes, that's, that's, that's the aim. That's the goal. <laughs> and what's the community like in Katoomba? It's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's nice to be back after a long, long time away and, um, just reconnecting with people. Um, I've got some very good friends living in Bathurst, so it's really so close, you know. I'm just, I can get out and about out to Bathurst and Orange really quickly, but I can also, if I have to go into Sydney, I'm not too far away as well. So, mm. no, it's good. It's good. Best of both worlds. Yes. And with your renovations, obviously, you were in amongst the design of country style for such a long time. Where do you turn too for your inspiration with decor and gardening have you got instagram accounts that you love checking out or websites or are there particular books that you pick up for for inspo oh yes i guess there are um just trying to think of some of them oh there's so many that i'm looking at i'm always looking at magazines i love i love the world of interiors mm. um but look my house is absolute shambles at the moment. It really is. <laughs> so I'm just sort of 
sorting through furniture which has come out of storage and I'm just yes so it's a very very slow process for sure we we'll describe it as eclectic and rustic. That's generally the, the oh, go-to. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And for the next little while, I suppose, what do you what does the future hold for you, Victoria, over the next 10 years or so? That's a big question, Em. Um, I am very happy doing what I'm doing. Um, so hopefully, hopefully I'll be still telling stories weaving beautiful stories from people from the country and the bush. That's what I want to be doing. Getting out and about, visiting Getting the out and about, yeah. remote corners. Yes, that's exactly it. Fab. Oh, so nice to chat with you, V. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Em. It's been lovely talking to you. Victoria has seen the ebbs and flows of print media its glitter and its uncertain underbelly, how traditional media has struggled, and the rise of independent publications, especially in the bush. What inspired me while talking to V was her absolute love of storytelling. Her life's work is the stories that surround us, and the passion for her craft shines out of her. It's a zest that is infectious, and I'm excited to see the direction and growth Crazy Her continues to embody. And what a magnificent segue to announce that the spring issue of Grazy Her is now on sale. It's an absolute corker of an addition to celebrate our bi-monthly launch with compelling stories of Australian women spanning the width and length of the country. In this issue, we really draw our attention to women across the ages, and the articles born from it are stunning. From Stephanie Trethewey's letter to her baby daughter Evie, to the inspiring 80-something matriarch still checking her merinos every single day. You can subscribe online at grazyher.com.au and have the magazine turn up in your mailbox six times a year. What a treat. Otherwise, flick this episode to anyone in your circle who you think might enjoy it. Sharing the love really keeps our wheels spinning. Until next time, keep well. Keep well.